So we want to pray for them. So be there tonight so we can pray for them. We are beginning uh, a new series in two weeks' time. We've finished Daniel, and we're going to be moving on in two weeks' time to the Gospel of Mark and working our way through Mark. So this week I'm going to be preaching on something different, uh, and next week we're going to have um, Jonathan uh, Kayando from uh, Tanzania, uh, who's uh, over in this country for a bit. You'll know that Paul and Jean and Jonathan and Andrew went out to Tanzania uh, earlier in the year, and uh, Jonathan's come over uh, to spend some time with us and spend some time with some churches in the south, and uh, he's going to be up next weekend. So uh, we're going to hear a little bit of what God is doing in the nation of Tanzania. But today we are in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 11. And it's verses 25 through to 30. But we will have it on the screen if you haven't got your Bible today. So it's Matthew 11, 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Over the summer, this is a passage that has really been speaking to me as I've been reading it, as I've just been thinking it through, as I've been praying about it. But I believe this morning that it's something that God wants to speak to us as a church and as a people. See, Jesus' promise is that he will give us rest and that when it comes to following him, he doesn't just heap on us a load of stuff and requirements and leave us with no help. But when I look around, I look around at other Christians, look around at churches, and I think, is that really true? And I'm not sure that always the followers of Jesus get living in the goodness of these promises. But then I look at my own life and I think, how often often do I live in the goodness of Jesus' promises here in this passage? It was interesting, I was reading uh, an interview quite recently with um, a church leader from um, a church that belongs to our family of churches, uh, a church leader in the north. And he said, he was interviewed and he was asked about what lessons he'd learnt about church leadership. What lessons he'd had to learn. And uh, he had one or two. 
But I was intrigued by this one. He said that one of the key lessons he'd had to learn was the need to work out of a place of rest. So I'm aware that September can begin a busy time for some. Perhaps you're um, a parent. Perhaps the six weeks holidays has been a busy time for you. Perhaps the promise of rest is a very sweet one to you right now. Perhaps there's something else that's requiring all your energy right now. Maybe you feel burdened with work situations, with family difficulties, with asylum cases. I want you to hear the warm invite of Jesus. Come to me. Why is it that our our lives don't always reflect this? I I was thinking about this maybe. Did did Jesus not understand 21st century living, perhaps? Is it it because he just didn't get what, what we would have to deal with nowadays? Is it a word for then and not for now? No. Jesus' invite is the same today. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Perhaps you're a teacher and you've had the six weeks break and you're going back to school. Perhaps you're going back to college. Perhaps you're going back to school as a pupil. It can be a busy time right now. How do we live in the promises of Jesus, in the goodness of those promises, and not be kind of pummeled and battered by what the world throws at us, the demands of life. If there is a take-home message this morning, there's one thing I want you to remember as you're eating your Yorkshire puddings this afternoon, or tucking into whatever after this, it's that this... Jesus' rest that he offers is like no other. The rest he offers is like no other. I want to be clear about two things, though. This isn't some kind of self-help, how-to-make-your-life-work-better message. How to do all the things in life that you want to do without being too stressed. Actually, what we find in this passage is it reveals more to us about God than how we're meant to live life. Neither is it a message necessarily about being less busy. Don't be so serious with life. Hey, chillax. Isn't that what all the kids say? Which really winds me up. Chillax. Hey, don't take life so seriously. It's not one of those messages. Rather, it's about where your activity comes from. Is it a place of rest? Because Jesus is in your life. So there's three things I want to focus on this morning. The uniqueness of Jesus, the invite of Jesus, and the yoke of Jesus. Okay, let's go back to our passage At this point in Matthew, people are starting to question 
um, why they should trust in Jesus, why they should believe Jesus' message. What, what, what are the grounds that we should believe your teaching on? And it starts off with John the Baptist sending um, uh, some of his uh, followers to Jesus to say, uh, John the Baptist is in prison, and uh, these followers, he sends these followers to say, ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one we've been waiting for? And then Jesus goes on to explain that actually lots of people and haven't heard, haven't received his message and they haven't received John the Baptist's message either. And then he says that, you know, there's even towns that loads of miracles have been performed in, yet they haven't chosen to receive Jesus. And then he prays this. Thanks, God, that these truths have been hidden from the wise and from the learned, and they've been revealed to little children. You know, those who have tr- saying those that have trusted in their own understanding, their own intelligence, over a genuine openness to God, to knowing God, they've missed it. And those that, like children, have been open to receiving, have encountered God. And he uses this picture of little children because, let's be real. Who, who knows a little child that if you offer them something, they will take it. They will say thank you very much. They will receive it. That's what little children do until they get a bit older. And they say, well, what's the catch? But little children will say thank you. Do you want something? Yes, please. I'll take it. I'll receive it. There's an openness to receive. Jesus isn't saying... This message is not for intelligent people, or um, uh, it's, uh, the, the truth is hidden from intelligent people. He's not saying, you know, when it comes to my message, the thicker the better. Um, that's not what he's saying. <laughs> you know, I have a, a relative who, who says to me, Do you know, I'd love, I'd love to believe, I'd love to believe in what you're doing, but I'm just too scientific. And I scratch my head and I think to myself, But I know loads of people that are much more scientific than you, much more cleverer than you, and you pretend that it's about, I'm just too clever to believe what you believe. I know loads of people who are more clever, and they love Jesus, and they know him, and they've encountered him. Actually, what it is, it's it's a, a, I'm, I'm hiding from, actually, I don't want to accept this Jesus, I don't want to receive this Jesus. There's a deep thing in my heart that says, I don't want him, but I'll use this thing called I'm too, I'm too clever, I'm too scientific to receive Jesus. But what Jesus is saying is this. The way to God isn't through intellectual pursuits. It's not, oh, only the cleverest will make it. No, no, in Christ, the Father has been open to all. All can come and receive anyone who is like a little child, ready, willing to receive. And then we get this very unique claim to, uh, sorry, we get this very extreme claim to uniqueness. 
Uniqueness. Uh, if you don't know what uniqueness is, it's, it's being unique. It's, there is nothing else like it. The only one like it. Where's Charlotte gone? She's gone. Char- Charlotte has a, Charlotte and just little baby Josiah, they have a unique bond. You know, you saw Raj here holding Josiah at the front. It's lovely. But at the moment, you know, he doesn't have that unique bond that Charlotte will have. Does she? She doesn't. He doesn't. It's unique. There's nothing else like it. But the claim Jesus makes about himself is even more unique than that. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. See, Jesus is claiming something really special here. See, our world says, do you know, there are lots of religions. There's lots of ways of living, and they all ultimately lead to God. So it's okay. Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, it doesn't really matter. Just being a generally nice person, it's okay, because they'll all lead to God, says our world. But Jesus' claim is very different. He claims a unique relationship with God the Father. That is only through him that someone can know this God. And it goes totally against our culture, which says don't claim, don't claim uniqueness. It's just all one mountain, really. It's all just, we're all just climbing the same mountain and we'll all get to the same peak, the same summit. But uniqueness is exactly what Jesus claims. Listen to this. This is from John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is God, the Son eternally loved by the Father, who live in perfect relationship. And that the Holy Spirit is God, who's revealing the love of the Father through the Son to us. Listen, be captivated by who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It gets called the Trinity. And if you're thinking, you know, how do I, where do I start by getting my head round the Trinity. Where, where do I go first? Start here. It's the eternal Father pouring out his love on his eternal Son by the eternal Spirit. It's something of relationship. It's something of love. Start with the Bible. That's where we see the Trinity in action. That's where we see the Father loving the Son and the Spirit revealing that to us. See, this is really important. It's really important to start with this because it's from here that Jesus can make the invite, the invitation that he makes in the next verse. It flows out of who he said, what he said about himself. So firstly, uniqueness. And secondly, the invite or the invitation. Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What a fantastic promise. 
You know, it's not just an invite to the little bit tired. Did you have a late night last night? Anyone up late, early into the morning? Perhaps you've had a tiring summer. Do you know it goes much deeper than that? Much, much deeper. See, most religious teachers of Jesus' day would have said, come to me and I will help you and train you to strive to get towards God. I'll show you the things you need to do to to work towards God. And within Jesus' day, there would have been two kind of main bits of teaching or thought that would have influenced them. There would have been the kind of Greek thinking that would have said, do you know, it's anything of spiritual value takes a lot of work, takes a lot of study, takes a lot of thinking, and it must be earned through a lot of effort and commitment and searching. And do you know, in the end, very few will find out and kind of get to the goal. That's what the Greek thinking would have said. Can you imagine how weary that would make you? Day by day, have I worked it out yet? No, not today. Maybe tomorrow. Year by year, have I done it enough yet? Have I tried this avenue, this plate? No, okay. Could you imagine how weary that would make you? And then there was Jewish law which would have said, follow these rules, abide by these laws, keep these duties, and you will earn the acceptance of God. People would have felt the heavy burden of keeping all those regulations. But Jesus says, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. See, weariness and burden. You know, it happens when we don't trust God. It happens when we try and do things ourselves instead of trusting in him. It's exactly what was happening in Jesus' day and it's what's happening today. See, we think we can handle the ups and downs of life. We think we're strong enough. We think we're we're made of the right stuff. We can do it. There's no need for God. But actually we find we can't. And we're invited to come to him. And so when Jesus says, I will give you rest, it's not, um, I'll give you uh, an absence of activity, I'll give you two weeks in the Caribbean, or I'll give you a weekend spa break. Not that I'm knocking those things. I wouldn't say, well, I would say no to the weekend spa break, but I wouldn't say that's not my thing. Uh, but, but two weeks in the sun? Hey, very nice. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. That's not what he means when he talks about rest. He's not meaning... Like Lizzie here, who is, uh, has hurt her knee, uh, leg. Knee? Leg? Knee. It is knee. And she's on crutches. And I'm guessing the doctor probably said to her when she hurt it, you need to rest it a bit. He didn't say go and run around. And He said a bit, you need to rest it. Rest it a little bit. That's what the doctor says to you if you hurt your leg or hurt something. You need to rest it. That's not the type of rest Jesus is talking about. It's a rest in our spirits. It's a rest in our inner being. Psalm 62 says this, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken. Perhaps you're not a Christian this morning. 
Come and find rest in God. The invitation is here for you today. Find rest in Jesus. Perhaps you're a Christian here this morning and you're allowing the stuff of life to burden you, to make you weary. Do you know today you can receive fresh peace, fresh rest from God? You can. It's not just an abstract thing. It's not just a thing out there. You can receive it today if you are feeling weary and burdened. See, we often try and gain this rest, this peace by ourselves. We often think we can do it. We can work it out ourselves. Or, or perhaps in order for God to, to love me, I, I need to be doing some stuff. Then I'll be worthy of his love. Then I'll be worthy of receiving this rest that he offers. I need to be living the right life. I need to be doing the right things. But the message of the gospel isn't do, do, do. It is done. 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 Jesus has done it for you. Jesus has lived the perfect life. He's dealt with the sin that separated you from God the Father on the cross. When he gave up his life, and he was really showing his love for you and me. But more than that, he was dealing with the sin that separated you and I from God. Paying it himself with his body so that we could know true rest, so that we wouldn't be burdened. Are you trying to earn that rest with God? Are you striving in your life to try and earn it in your own actions and deeds? When actually Jesus says, come to me. See, sometimes we can even try and earn rest by trying to impress other people, earn the acceptance of other people around us. Do you know how? If, they see, if, if, everyone else, if everyone else sees me doing this, doing this job, I, I've, I've got here early at church this morning, I've, I, I, you know, I've, I've helped with the setup. I've, well, I've, I'm on the stage, hey, I'm in the worship. If other people see me, won't they be impressed? And actually, that will bring a sense of rest to me. Do you do that? I know I do sometimes. I find myself doing a job or doing something and I suddenly think oh hey I wonder if anyone's watching <laughs> oh. I'm slightly disappointed when they're not um, do you do you sometimes think oh I hope someone sees me doing this because they will say oh, well done do you know you've really, you're really serving God there and I'll go oh I rest in my spirit <laughs> no just me just me okay <laughs> I know it's not. I know it's not. Oh, thank you, Sarah Peacock. Oh. Listen, I'm looking in the wrong place. You're looking in the wrong place if you do that too. You'll find rest in Jesus alone. So finally, the yoke of Jesus. What is a yoke? I hear you cry. A yoke was kind of like a, a, a wooden beam 
that they would put over animals or over an animal or, or animals to help them pull a heavy load. There you can see it uh, over a couple of fine-looking specimens there um, to pull a heavy load. That was the yoke. Jesus would have known about these. Hey, perhaps as a carpenter, Jesus would have made some of these. He would have fashioned some of these. See, there's an amazing invite that to follow Jesus meant to take on his yoke. His yoke, which is easy, and his burden, which is light. See, in the Old Testament, it had lots of references to yokes. Uh, when the, the Israelites were slaves under Pharaoh, under the Egyptian king, the Pharaoh, it, it, it talked about the yoke of slavery. They were under this heavy burden of, of, of slavery. Interesting what Jill brought this morning about being in slavery and being caged. It was also used to refer to the weight of injustice. People who were experiencing injustice in life, they were under this yoke of injustice. And it was also used to refer to how the Israelites would often go off and worship false gods. They'd go off and worship the idol down the road. Hey, we like him. We'll go and worship him instead of the living God. And the prophets would say, you've put yourself under a yoke of the God of that town, of the God of that place. But by the time of the New Testament, it was often used by religious people to refer to the requirements of the Old Testament law. God's law set out in Scripture. They'd say it's the yoke of the law is what every Jew must carry. But that's all it was. It was powerless to help you. It was good. The law's good. But it was powerless to do anything to help you. And actually became a heavy burden. And the religious leaders didn't help either. They just made things worse. This is... This is what uh, Jesus says of the religious leaders of his day. This is from Matthew 23. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger. Like an animal just pulling a heavy load, which is getting heavier and heavier, and no one helping or lifting a finger. But Jesus says his yoke is easy. Not easy as in it's less work, not easy as in it's less demanding. But now it is easy because it becomes a yoke of love instead of a yoke of duty. And he says, Do you know, I'm not drawing you into this relationship so that I can heap more and more demands and load on you and not lift a finger to help you. Actually, I've drawn you into relationship, into friendship, so that the life that I put in you might help you to live, might help you to be, might help you to act and live differently. 
See, as I read this passage more and more, suddenly I realized it's less about how to live life, it's less about what, and more about who God is. It's more about him than us. Jesus is revealing what the Father is truly like. He's not some kind of strict school teacher who stands over you, waiting for you to make a mistake. Did you have one of those school teachers waiting to pounce when you made a mistake on that page? Perhaps you are that school teacher. (laughs) Just looking around the room, I'm sure you're not. No, no, Jesus reveals what the Father is like. Gentle and humble in heart. I came across a wonderful picture of this as we went out for a, a day out yesterday. We went to a farm in County Durham, and it's one of these farms where they've got some animals and uh, there's things for the kids to do. And uh, they put on, a, they put on a, a little show, not like a circus, but you know, they get some of the animals to kind of sh- to tell you about them and um, introduce you to them and, and, and stuff like that and help the children to kind of come and stroke them and stuff like that. Um, and the guy had uh, two parrots, two macaw parrots, big parrots, big birds, lovely birds. Um, and uh, he, he stood with both these birds and he said, Do you know, this bird came to us from a, a, an animal rescue place. It came from an It had probably been... Uh, perhaps uh, experienced abuse, experienced heavy load, experienced uh, uh, a, a lot of um, uh, a lot of badness from its owner before. Yet this parrot, he said, we reared from a baby. And he said, you know, there's things I would do with this parrot uh, th- that I wouldn't do with this parrot. He said because he, he said with this parrot. I can, you're told never to put your finger in the parrot's mouth, which I wouldn't put my finger in a parrot's mouth if you paid me. He said, you, you never put your finger in a parrot's mouth. He said, but with this parrot, I put my finger in its mouth. And he, and he kind of got the parrot and he, and he held the parrot. And the parrot just kind of hung from his finger. And uh, he said, and you're, you're certainly not meant to put it on your lips. And so he took the parrot and let the parrot hang from his lips. And this parrot was happy to do it and just hung from his lips. He said, you're not meant to do that. He said, I would never do it with this parrot. And uh, he said, he said, do you know why I do it with this parrot? And in, in his broad County Durham accent, he said, because it loves us. <laughs> this parrot loves us. And I love it. And I suddenly realised, it's love. It really is. It's love. He's been able to train, he's been able to uh, work with, he's been able to uh, live with this parrot because of love. This parrot trusts him. This parrot is affectionate towards him. The other parrot has had a bad experience. The other parrot has a different idea of what an owner is. But this parrot loves him. And love really changes stuff, doesn't it? And we just need to keep ensuring that our understanding of God keeps coming from the word of God. As the parrot understood who his owner really was, and that he loved him, we need to understand who God is. A right view of God. So it affects our whole lives and how we live. It affects how we serve. It becomes about 
Um, less of, oh, I have to do this because I have to. I have to serve in the church. Or, or I do it because God will accept me when I do. Or I've got to repay back Jesus for what he did. It becomes less of that and more of, do you know, I want to set out the chairs this morning in worship to Jesus. I want to, I want to worship in the worship band to worship to Jesus. I want to work in our children's work as worship to Jesus. I want to set out the tea and coffee because I'm worshipping Jesus through it and loving him and declaring how good he is. It affects our money. It affects how we handle our money. You know, if we see God as some kind of vindictive tax collector who wants to squeeze out everything we think that he thinks he's owed, it'll affect how we give our money. It'll affect how we ta- uh, treat our money. But if actually we realise that God's given us everything, and actually in our money, we can worship God with it, whatever we do with it, with our whole lives. When we give to him, it's worship. When we use it to bless others, it's worship. It's worship to him. I want to I wanna make decisions in life that honour him. But I won't be able to do it if I think that he's someone who's forever standing over me, dictating what I should do and what I shouldn't do, and only interested in my behaviour and how I am and, and doing it rather than interested in me. But that's not how discipleship works with Jesus. See, when he says, take my yoke and learn from me, he means let's do this together. Let's do life together. Let me come and empower you by the Spirit. Let me come and be present with you. Okay, we're going to finish soon. But you see how, you see how Jesus is so important. See, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 20. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom. At the cross, he exchanged his perfect life for our sin-filled, dirty lives. And we're given his perfect life. We're given his righteousness. It was to serve us by doing the thing that we could not do. See, let that be the reason for all you do. Let that be the reason to worship him. Take his yoke. Because it's easy and his burden is light. See, church, there's many things ahead of us. Many adventures ahead of us. Many journeys ahead of us. Let's keep approaching them, trusting in Jesus. Wanting his leading. Wanting his strength. Wanting to hear his voice. Let's commit to doing life that way. Under his yoke. You know, we really should read this passage for what it is. Not for some words spoken thousands of years ago, and that's it. But as an invite for us today. An invite to you and me today. Perhaps you're not a Christian. You can know this Jesus today. You can hear his words today as he speaks to you. Come to me and I will give you rest. Maybe you're trying to live out the Christian life outside of this rest 
Maybe you're trying to do things in your strength. Maybe you're trying to do things to earn this rest rather than receive it in grace from him. Do you know, I believe as you do this, as you receive this rest from him, it will speak to those around you. It will speak to those around you. Not that all the challenges in your life will suddenly just disappear and fall away. But how you cope with them, how you approach them, they will see someone who trusts in Jesus that says, okay, yep, I know I'm facing these challenges. I know I'm facing these things in my life. But I know he's with me. And I know he gives me rest in it. And it will speak of the goodness of Jesus. Okay. I want us to finish by responding. I'm not going to call people out as such, but I would, what I would like to do is to pray for us together. And uh, I'd like the band to come up. What we'll do is, um, as we sing and worship Jesus together in this song, we'll take up our offering. Have we taken the offering yet? Have we? No. That's okay. That's fine. What we'll do is we'll take up our offering as we sing this song together. And then I want to pray for us out of that. So let's stand. Come on, let's keep our attention on Jesus. Let's come to him. The ones whose words are the same today as they were first spoken. He's here with us. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.